please join us for a conversation with Chris Parrott, VP of Technology for Client Engineering at IBM. Chris has his roots in development, but has evolved to become a prominent IT executive. Our discussion will cover a variety of topics, including how he activates teams, develops new leaders, and has an affinity for hypergrowth moments. Before we welcome our guest, let's say hello to my co-host, Joe Seppi. Hey, Luke. How are you, my friend? How's the weather over there? Good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm okay. It looks like you're almost like you have a, a sun shower happening behind you. It's nice. You commented last time that I looked like I wasn't getting any sun, so I thought I would do a little <laughs> more production design and, and spruce it up. Yeah. So, I, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, you ha- also, one of the things we talked about in one of our recent episodes was we were like, how did it get to Nicholas Hurricane already? Where are all these? It seems like more than I remember seeing in the news. So I did a little research, Joe, and I have the answer for you. Oh, please. Yeah. Update our listeners. They don't all make landfall, so they don't really make the news. Oh, but they name them all, and that's why it goes through all the the letters. If it starts swirling and the wind reaches 39 miles per hour, it's a tropical storm and it gets a name. It's on a six-year rotation of the names, and only if it's a deadly enough hurricane do they retire the name. Okay. It's a lot, a lot of more information than you bargained for, Joe. No, no, that was just the right amount of information I was looking for. I appreciate that. I was wondering too, like I notice in my calls, if it's a sunny day, I look like I have really good light because my windows are right here. And today it's partially cloudy. So I feel like I don't have as much light on my face here. So I, I don't know if you or the listeners, the viewers can tell what kind of weather I'm having based on my light. Well, I'm curious what the weather's like in the Midwest. Maybe we should check in with our guest, Chris Barrett, and find out. Welcome, Chris. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you, Chris? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. How's the weather over there? Where, where are you at? Uh, home is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it is, you know, not a beautiful day here. It's a little gloomy, a little cloudy, a little hazy. Mid-60s. Fall is in the air. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. That sounds reasonable. I don't know if we talked about this in any of our prep calls, but I spent like 10 years in Chicago and spent a lot of time up in Milwaukee and Madison and and stuff. It's lovely out there. I spent about six living in Chicago. And when we had our firstborn, you know, I was living in my ideal Lincoln Park condo, which I thought was going to be home forever. And I quickly realized that having a child in a two-bedroom condo was not going to work. And your choices are either move west to the Schaumburg area or move north. And I was working out west in Lyle. And it was faster for me to drive from Milwaukee to Lyle than it was to drive from Lincoln Park to Lyle. So yeah, you're now residents of the great state of Wisconsin. Nice. Yeah, that story actually is pretty common. I have a lot of friends that were like, oh, we have children now. We should get out of Chicago and go to the suburbs or, or what have you. So. Then when they get out of the house, you move back down there. That's what people do. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Cool. So where do we want to start? I think you have some announcements and stuff. Should we start with what what you do and and what's exciting right now? I love the fact that you told me the prep that you're going to ask me what's exciting. And so (laughs) this isn't even the, this is the pre what's exciting part. I know you have exciting stuff that we want to talk about later on. I'll just generally what's exciting. Sure, maybe we'll start with a, a little bit of an overview of what our team does and kind of the ecosystem of IBM and how we operate and how I got here. So I'm somewhat new to the company, like I'm six months in, I think I just had my six month anniversary, but super excited to be here. I joined from Google. Um, my boss here called me and recruited me in. And one of the things he was looking for was we were building out a team, a pre-sales function that we call IBM Client Engineering. 
And over the past six months, we've hired roughly, I'll be explicit here, 1,200-ish people around the world into this pre-sales function. And we look at how we can execute um, and help our clients adopt our technology. You know, we focus on things like open call platform, OCP. We focus on cloud packs. We also focus on how we can activate them in a very quick and efficient way. And we're a very hands-on technical team. Like our goal and objective is to get into the technology quickly, activate them and get the clients to touch the technology as fast as we possibly can. We've seen that when we showcase the value of the technology and like how they can leverage it to change their business, it quickly becomes a very synergistic way that we interact with them. And overall, the reception in the six months of, of being in business inside client engineering, it's been very well received in the way that we execute and operate with them. So it's been super fun. We've hired a bunch of people. We've brought in a ton of new talent. We've brought in a bunch of people from inside the company as well into the organization. So we've got people that have been inside IBM for a long time. We've also got a lot of very early career professionals. And that has been an exciting kind of fun thing to hire into. That's remarkable. And there's a lot there to, to dig into, which we'll get to, I think, the different components. But I'm curious, six months for you and 1,200 hires, that's insane. Tell me more about how, how that's going. And yeah, I want to hear more. Yeah, sure. So we all start with what we look at when we try to hire people in, into the team. And this is something that I've been hiring and building teams for quite some time. And I think that the three characteristics or traits that when we see in people, they become very successful in these types of roles. The first is technical depth that goes beneath them in here. Like those that have technical depth that goes deep, it serves them very well. They are innate problem solvers. They understand they're passionate about technology as a whole and how it can be leveraged. The second trait I look for a lot in people that we hire is just bias for action and hustle, right? There's no substitution for that, like how fast we need to move in business and it matters, speed matters. And so we look for those that just have that built in, you know, I want to get things done, hustle. And the last thing, which I don't think you can train is just innate curiosity, intellectual curiosity and lifelong learners. Those that want to dig in, learn about new things and are not afraid to get their hands dirty and just learn, right? Process, technology, whatever that may be. And those three things like we've seen when we hire people that, that fit that kind of that mold, they're wildly successful here. They're wildly successful everywhere. And we're really super excited to have those people join our team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I see that kind of in, in our org too, in the open tech org, people are oriented towards action and they we have shifting needs. We need stuff over here, over there. As long as people are ready to rock and roll, that's great. I mean, they, they tend to have lots of fun in places like this when we're growing fast and doing things like this. And so it, it, it's just a great org to be part of. I think that was one of my biggest surprises coming into the enterprise too, is how dynamic and exciting it is. You know, there's sort of this reputation of big business and enterprise maybe being a little slow paced or stodgy, but it's actually, things are happening fast. They're happening at scale right away. It's a very exciting place to be. Yeah. My boss's boss talks about the thing clock speed a lot, like how fast can we operate inside the organization to get things done? And, you know, we're continually looking for ways to improve that. You know, one of the things that you know, we've been working on a lot inside client engineering is like how we improve speed and delivery. And so when we first started, we had one kind of motion. We leveraged the garage method, which has been inside IBM for a long time. And it's a you know well thought out, well executed way to help clients engage and you know leveraging design thinking to help them 
you know, see the art of the possible, frame things in a way that are digestible, and build technology in very short sprints, agile-based, that allows them to see and touch and feel an outcome. And we still do that, and that is part of the core of what we continue to do. And we also looked at how do we dedicate teams to our top clients? You know, in our top you know, 100-ish, 200-ish top clients, we are dedicating teams that become an extension of their team, an extension of how they operate. And so they can feel very easy to go out and reach out to the IBM team that's there and engage with them. You know, another idea that we're working on and building out is an activation team where we can help customers quickly stand up OCP and activate it. Like we want to make that frictionless, like the idea to activate a platform for them to be able to build on top of in a very quick amount of time is something that we're focused on. Um, and then the other is around this idea of journeys. And, and we have a lot of clients that come to us and say, I'm very interested in your security offering, or I'm very interested in your data offering, or I'm very interested in your operations offering. And we've got great ways to help them understand what the art of the possible is there from doing design thinking workshops or leveraging different ways that we've got to be able to help them get there. So that's really interesting. And I, I think if, if I remember correctly from like our prep call, in a way you're sort of dog fooding that activation of sorts because getting people from zero to where they want to be was something that you had to work on as well. Is that right? It, totally. And actually, I like the word, the fact that you used the word dog fooding. I said that here when I first got here, I went, oh, we should dog food this. And someone said, we're drinking our own champagne. We have dog food things. <laughs> but we are, we are doing a lot of that. And we are building repeatable processes and mechanisms that we can share with our clients, um, whether that be repeatable artifacts for things like architecture, deployment models, Ansible scripts, to be able to help them take that automation and activate it. So you know, one of the things that we've been working on is called the Client Architecture Center, which is a great place for clients to be able to go to and leverage the architecture and code that we're deploying out there. And so that they can take that, use that, share it with their teams. And we love the fact that when it comes back full circle, and like we've been working with them and like, hey, this is a great you know, piece of code that we should share as well. We like that idea of doing what we do and sharing it with others. Well, thank you for sharing the insight into it because it's very interesting. A lot of times, especially if you're out, like I'll be reading forums, particularly Hacker News, and a lot of times people will be like, oh, IBM, what, what, what does IBM even do? And I, I think the answer, and we can, you know, I can hear it when we hear the scope of what you're saying is, what don't we do? We really do everything. People don't realize IBM is one of the like, biggest design companies in the world, let alone all the IT and infrastructure and AI and research and quantum and all of the other things that maybe people know more about. Like, There's really so much going on, and it, it is, it's full spectrum for everything related to a, a client account. Totally. And I think our top clients are, are appreciate that they can come to us and help them solve lots of problems, not just a problem. Like we don't have just point solutions, but we have things that can help them, you know, from business automation to IT automation and operations to security and data and AI. And when all those things come together, there's just such a powerful suite of products that we have that helps them solve really complicated problems that and they're just not everyday things that people get to put their hands on. Yeah, and I didn't think about this when we were talking about it earlier, but do you do the whole spectrum design and all that stuff? We have roughly I don't know, 200 plus designers inside the organization that are true designers and they help facilitate and help our customers kind of think through the, the problem statement. So we do that. We have hands-on technical developers. We have solution architects. 
We have data scientists, we have security experts, we have DevOps experts. So we cover the full spectrum of resources that, you know, if you were to drop them into any client, they could pretty much help them figure out almost all of the things that surround our technology and work through those hands-on, shoulder-to-shoulder, doing, you know, paired development and coding, which is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. And I know that we uh, have cloud packs and operators in the Red Hat marketplace. Like, I have to assume that all fits into the work that you're doing as well. Yeah. I mean, as you know, like, you know, the, the platform of OCP is extensible. So the idea that it's like a tiered cake, right? And so the first thing we do with most of our clients is help them instantiate the OCP platform. And, you know, once we have done that, then we can layer on additive things like Cloud Pack for Data or Cloud Pack for Automation. And that's like really where the magic comes in of our product set is how we stack those on top of that. And they can take advantage of that, you know, whether that be on-prem, on IBM Cloud, on Amazon, on Azure, right? We scale out as well as in so they can manage that inside their infrastructure on-prem, but also in the hyperscalers of Amazon and Google and Microsoft, which become a partner of this type of ecosystem that we work with. I think it might be worth unpacking for some of our listeners who aren't really familiar maybe with what hybrid cloud practically means. Maybe you could comment on it. I guess maybe if I just seed the question, it would be that this is the reality we face. It's not like it's something that was maybe engineered or imposed. It's That's just how it is. Right. So there are a lot of cloud native companies that can start their business in the cloud. And that's if you're a startup in San Francisco and you're going to go build the next Instagram, whatever, you're going to do that in a cloud native world. However, a lot of our clients that we work with today have been around in business for hundreds of years and they're not cloud native organizations. And they do have tech debt. They have you know legacy systems that have been on-prem for a very long time running highly mission critical applications for them. And ripping those out and moving to the cloud overnight is not a trivial task. And not to mention that they're just core to the business. And so, you know, we see such a great opportunity for us to embrace our clients and meet them where they're at. That's the thing we say a lot is you don't have to abandon your investment in your on-prem infrastructure to get the value of, you know, leveraging things and moving them to the cloud. There's an and statement there. It's not an or statement. And that we can help them by leveraging OCP as a platform that runs both on-prem and in the cloud. And it gives them this flexibility to move workloads from, you know, the, the on-prem environment out to Amazon, out to Azure, and not feel lock-in. And there's a fear, I think, in a lot of our clients' minds that once we move to the cloud, we're locked in, right? That's not the world that we want to have them be in. We want to give them flexibility and freedom to choose cloud vendors, to choose on-prem, because there's right places for certain things to run and you know, wrong places for certain things to run. And it, it, it's good to have the flexibility and the freedom to be able to do that. And that's really what I think our products need help, sweet helps them do. So I, I want to ask you something, and we didn't really talk about this in prep. We'll see how this goes. But I know it's only been six months or so, but have there been any projects that you've worked on that you've been really blown away by that was a real difficult task or, or what have you, something that really sticks with you? Uh, I think there's a bunch, but I also think that some of it is like how we engage. I mean, so we were working with an insurance company in Canada and they, they came to us and asked us to help. And you know, they were trying to solve some problems around you know, how they you know, look at you know, insurance policies and giving the right rates to people, which is the problem that we can solve. And we did do that for a cool project. But the thing I think that made me giggle a little bit was 
when the client said to us, you know, this is a really great use of our time. IBM used to take us golfing and this investment of time was way better than any golf game that we played, right? I mean, the time that we spent with your team hands-on in the technology was way more valuable to us than beers and golf. And, and I'm not discrediting beers and golf because who doesn't like beers and golf, but this is a little bit of a different way for us to engage. And that, I think that feedback to me made me smile kind of for a few days at least. That's really interesting to hear, especially because the whole reason that advocacy exists is exactly this scenario you're talking about. When the world had a few enterprise vendors and you really were only going to choose from a handful, it was all about that high-level sales. But the whole idea of advocacy and pre-sales engagements really is about making sure that you get that buy-in from the folks in the organization. They're going to have to use the tools, use the technology, and do the work. And if you meet their needs and make their life easy, then your sales go through. And I think the sales model on a whole is just changing so dramatically. The traditional relationship sale, well, relationships are important, is being upended. And I think you see it everywhere. Like when I was at Amazon, it was the first time I saw it. I was like, wow. They hired a different DNA to go sell intentionally. It was like by design. And there was a, a lot of thought on when we get people activated under the technology, it solves a lot of the problems. And, you know, I saw that at Google and I see it here now, like the, the sales motion is really baked into how do we get value from investment of technology and services that will you know outweigh value of a relationship. And the relationship is important. And I think we have great relationships with our clients, but it's really around showing up and helping deliver the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about, like you said, going out for drinks. It's more about showing the value and being involved and I think that really does, uh, you know, we talk a lot about developers being decision makers and focusing on developer productivity and building things out. So I think that makes a lot of sense to just get in there. I mean, and start a lot of things that we talk about today have been around for a very long time. There was a company called NCR a long time ago, which we are a relationship with, as you probably will know, and they sold cash registers on wagons. And some guy bought that thing and said, we're going to create territories and we're going to create quotas and we're going to create this thing called President's Club for those that do a really good job. And when you do a bad job, we're going to fire you. And the firing was like when they literally took your desk and threw it in the yard and they burned it. <laughs> And all of those words are now like embedded in the way that we talk about sales. And that's a long time ago. And so the model is changing. The way that people think about quotas and territories and president's club is you know, fundamentally changing at a pretty rapid rate. I love that story. We heard a story from one of our colleagues who did a little research when we did an event. And so Thomas Watson was a typewriter salesman with a horse and buggy wagon. And one day, apparently, he went to the bar after celebrating a sale, and he left his wagon unattended, and his typewriters got robbed. And that's when he, he that's why he had a no drinking at the office policy. He was really against it after his wagon got robbed. I had no idea. There's a lot of old stories. You remember that Justin did that research, Joe? Yeah, that's that's hilarious. So, Chris, your journey to get here, you started off in development. I would love to hear your origin story because having that foundation and understanding and empathy for those who are doing the work, say, at the client or within your own organization has helped you get where you are today. So I, I would love to hear your origin story. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to go talk to a bunch of high school kids that didn't have a distinct path on where they wanted to go. And so I went in there totally unprepared, by the way, and said, I have very few, if any, pretty much zero prepared remarks, but I have an hour to talk and hopefully you guys listen to me. 
And I talked about the career journey. And I think people think that careers start here and that they end up here and that there's a distinct definitive line that goes up and to the right. And at the end of the day, you should retire and you're up and to the right. And I told them it's not really how it works at all. The reality is you go through these ebbs and flows of your career and it's the pivot points or the transitions that really drive where you take your career. And when I was an undergrad, I was an economics major and had nothing to do with technology. And I went and got my internship at some brokerage house, which were remain nameless for the conversation. And they said, welcome to the team, Chris, for the summer. And here's your box of old leads. We want you to go in this dark room and call all day long. You know, and I was dialing for dollars, trying to sell life insurance. I'm like, sorry, this job sucks. I don't want to do this. And I had this mental meltdown. Oh my God, what have I done with my career, my life? Like I spent you know three and a half years of college and I don't want to do this. And I then, you know, started to try to take as many technology classes as I could when I was in college and, you know, loaded up things I could and started going to career fairs. And funny story, I went to a career fair. There was a company there called IBM. And I went to the thing and I said, here's my resume. I know it has nothing to do with comp sci or engineering, but I promise you, give me a chance. I'll work harder than everybody else. And they did. They gave me a chance. So they gave me my first internship a long time ago, which I appreciate and was pretty much the first door that I got opened. And I spent two years working for IBM as an intern and my postgraduate. And then it was early, right? They, they had a great onboarding program. I learned a ton, learned how to code software. And I did a quick stint in Europe for three years, doing some outsource development again, learning more about you know how to code software and you know, then the transition point happened when the dot-com fell apart. I didn't realize what was going on. I was living in Europe and they said, we're closing the shop here and we're sending everybody back home. And thank God for uh, severance packages. So much like you, Luke, I went to school and got my MBA. So I spent a few years doing that, but wanted to get back into technology and went to work for a company called Level 3, which was at the early stages of its hyper growth stage. And this is I think about the trend in my career, I found these companies that were in this hyper growth mode and, and they were buying companies left and right every couple of weeks, uh, which was super fun because they were just growing like crazy. But then a gentleman walked in and he said to all the developers in the room, welcome. I'm really glad to be here. I'm the new VP of development. Unfortunately, you all should start thinking about what you want to do with your career because we're going to outsource all of our development to India. And I was like, what am I going to do now? I got the job and thought it was going to be cool. And now you guys are telling me I got to do something different. And so again, I took my resume and I dusted it off and I shopped it around to a bunch of people. And I realized I wanted to get into sales, which I had no experience in whatsoever. And I found my way in this guy's office and said, listen, I've, got, I've had no experience with this, but if you give me a chance, I promise I'll work harder than everybody else. And he did. He, got me, he gave me a job and we were selling dial-up. So AOL was like their biggest customer. And they had this digital dialer thing that they sold and I sold dial up to AOL, which was a totally, you know, it dates me a little bit, but <laughs> did that. And then I realized I was like, this is great. The sales world's okay, but I, I want to get back to selling technology. And I had been talking to this company called Borland Technology. I don't know if you remember who they are, the IDE company. And they were in this hyper growth mode. And, you know, I somehow finagled my way in an interview with this guy and he gave me a chance and I was a sales engineer. So it was like this breed between being a developer, being a sales guy and this technical world, which I thought was like just a happy place to be. And I spent, you know, four years there and ended up, you know, being chief of staff for this guy that was the SVP of sales. Unbeknownst to myself, like the company was probably not in its best financial shape. 
And here's a lesson learned to all the listeners out there. Don't ride companies to the bottom. Get out. And uh, we, um, you know, since they had to do a bunch of stuff and the company then got acquired and I was like, what am I going to do now? And this friend of mine was the CEO at a company called VMware. They were the small 3,000 person company. And I found myself in there and, I, and that company went gangbusters and I built a bunch of cool teams there. I built a team in India, I built this team in North America. And then 2013, my phone rang from a guy that was previously at VMware and went to Amazon and he said, you should join this company called AWS. And like the AWS as an org was maybe 3,000 people. And it was super teensy. And again, crazy growth. Like that place just hit the gas pedal and they went nuts. And then I had a similar opportunity with a friend of mine that was working at Google and he invited me over there. And at the end of my four years at Google, I was looking around, what should I do next? And I was looking at startups and I was looking at a bunch of different things. And I got a call to come take a look at joining the team to build this out. And it, it felt a little funny to have it come full circle, right? From my days of being an intern, but it also felt really right. Like it felt super cool to like, hey, it's full circle. I had done a ton. I've learned a lot. I have the ability to learn more. And I thought it was just a cool opportunity. So that's my ride here. And, uh, but super glad to be here. That's amazing. That's a really great story. And I wonder, those pivot points for you, do you notice anything common that were, were you just paying attention and saw one going down and got an opportunity came around or like, how do you, it seemed like it was repeating. Is there anything to take away from that? Yeah. My wife says I'm a glutton for punishment, right? And <laughs> I like to join companies. Like when you're in an organization for a while, you can stabilize the job. If you're going from zero to a you know, thousand people or 2000 people, you can stabilize at a point where it's like, it becomes an operational role. And you can be very happy in those roles for a long time. I've never been an operational role type of person. I love the building. I love the, how do we get things to work and what's that model? That's always caused me to lift my head up every once in a while and look around. I don't know if I got a recipe, Joe. I think it's a little bit of dumb luck, right? And sometimes uh, when you decide to make the move and it could be a total disaster, but fortunately it has not been a total disaster moving from one place to another. Um, and I just keep looking for fun things to do and it's just worked out. Yeah, it sounds like it's worked out really well. I was actually just talking to one of my colleagues this morning about this sort of stuff. Like I have a very different story, but a lot of that same sort of I think being open to opportunities and also kind of always planting seeds and having the, the feelers out there and making friends that cycle back around. And, and I think the really the being open to opportunities uh, a bit has really been important for me. And if something comes up and you're like, oh, that actually sounds really great. And this other thing I'm doing is fizzling. So sure, let's go for it. And it's, it's worked out. For sure. Yeah. And when things go really sideways, you got to figure out how to get out. That's <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're going to outsource your jobs in India. Yeah. <laughs> or .com all happened and this company is no longer going to be in business. Or we sold your company and you're going to have to go find a new job. Yeah. 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 I like that quote, uh, don't ride it to the bottom. I remember when I was in a startup, I was a co-founder, I was CTO, and that's actually how I got recruited into SoftLayer and IBM. But someone had told me, they were like, it's better to fail in two years, Luke, than it is to fail in four years. And that was when I had it. Because it's tough. After you've made the Kool-Aid and drank the Kool-Aid and you've created this 
cult around your startup, it really to deprogram was very difficult. But I, I looking back, I was like, yeah, I, I think it was better to uh, to leave early than it was to to try to ride it to the bottom. And, it, and it, all the you know, we talked about the hiring criteria. Like I've fallen into that trap myself of the things that I think that have helped me from place to place is technical depth, curiosity, and just the hustle. Like we've got to move fast and. Sometimes it's a strength, sometimes it's a weakness, you know, the, the hustle part of it, but you have to be able to balance the three of them and, you know, balance the outside ecosystem of your life and your family and all the other things that are important up to why we do these things called jobs. And if you can figure that balance out, it's a, it's a good ride. It's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking about this and I don't know how to ask this in the right way, but, you know, you've ramped up in a huge way in the six months, 1,200 people, you said, and really hitting the ground running. Do you see more upward trajectory, more growth, more? Tell, tell me more about the, the future in that regard. I do see a lot of upward trajectory and growth for us as a company and as an organization. And the street sees it. There's just a lot to do. I think that when we have a portfolio that's broad like ours and we have some great technology, we're seeing great momentum in our clients like where we really are. The technology and the, the, the products, they, they like the way that we're, we're coming to market. I like the execution model. So I think there's a lot of room for upward growth here, both inside our team and client engineering, as well as the overall company. I'm just very bullish on where we're going. Joe, maybe we should take a minute, do some housekeeping, talk about our, our podcast. And then when we come back, we can maybe dig more into the details of how Chris is activating teams and making it happen. Let's sure. do it. So first of all, past shows and all current shows, you can find it at ibm.biz forward slash in the open current shows always embedded at the top past shows will be uh, below on that page as well as a link to the podcast version so you can if, you, if you're not in front of a screen or you want to be mowing your lawn or doing something else washing dishes I, I don't know walking your dog you can listen to the podcast audio only version cleaned up a little bit less pauses ums ahs butts all of that and if i say anything stupid it's out you want to find it in the podcast you have to go to YouTube for that. <laughs> we have other podcasts besides this show. This is our sort of our, I would call it our flagship show. It definitely is the best show, but we have other shows and we have other contributors and we're, we're expanding constantly. More shows on the horizon. I think there may even be a client engineering podcast on the horizon. We'll see. We'll see. I think there might be. And then developer.ibm.com, all kinds of content there. We got blogs, tutorials, uh, patterns, code patterns, all kinds of things to help you in your journey and Joe, this one's for you. All the open source. We got our IBM open source stories. Yeah, there's a lot there. I, I encourage folks to check it out, the history and, and all the work that we're doing in open source. It's pretty awesome. It's my day job. Is it your night job or your afternoon job? That's my day job. My rock and roll is is everything beyond that. Uh, you know, that's a maybe a good segue. Like, what do you what do you, what do you do? That's a good question for you, Joe. I'm going to turn the tables on your favorite concert you've ever seen. Oh, wow. That's a good question. Huh. A couple come to mind that I maybe can't talk about on the podcast. What's interesting is I have been a musician for a long time. And a lot of my favorite concerts are like my other friends playing in small clubs and just having a good time and small intimate venues where we just really can enjoy ourselves and each other's music. And that's kind of my favorite thing. Nice. Yeah. What about you? I saw Dead & Co. last weekend. Wow. Uh, I feel that was cool. I didn't notice a friend of mine's cousin is married to Bob Weir and he gave us these killer tickets. Like, 
Wow. This is very about weird. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So that was fun. I think my favorite though, uh, Halloween, maybe 2003, Jane's Addiction, Denver. Wow. Yeah. Where did you say it was? It was at uh, the University of Colorado at Denver. Like it was crazy because they started on one side of the venue and then it was like the intermission happened and they opened up on the other side of the venue. So those that were like late got front row seats. It was wow. Very cool. I, I so one of I'll leave out some of the, the parts of it that I uh, can't talk about. But one of my favorites was I used to work at a radio station when I was in uh, my last year of high school, and I would go set up for live broadcasts where the DJ would interview bands and stuff. And so it was a lot of times it was backstage, <clears throat> and we went to the first Lollapalooza at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center here in New York. And it was really cool. I set everything up. I'm just hanging out. And the DJ is a really good guy. And he's like, I know this is all like your music, but Jane's Addiction, uh, the first year and, and a bunch of other great bands. He's like, you should just go and hang out. Just go enjoy the concert, which was awesome. And I did. But what I forgot is that all of the people were going to come back and talk to him. So I missed like meeting all, all of these bands, but I did get to go out and, and watch them from the, uh, from the lawn. It was pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, now I want to go, but I'll make it quick. Yeah, you look. All right, go ahead. So it was a research trip when I was at the Blue Man Group. We went to see Roger Waters' The Wall at Madison Square Garden. It was really impressive. It was amazing. It was like, yeah, after how many years? 30 years or something. It's still just an amazing show. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Very great. What else? I think it might be interesting to dig into the specifics. I, I know you're working at a strategy level, but then you're also having to build and implement teams. And I think getting some insight into how you actually do that and what are some of the mechanics of that would yeah. be really interesting. When I joined six months ago, and we had I don't know, roughly 50 managers at the time, and now we have 110 or something. Wow. Um, and I realized we were really good at onboarding technical talent. Like we had a really good process if you were a cloud engineer to teach about how the different products were, to, to you know, touch the products, but we didn't have a good program for onboarding managers and leaders. And people don't quit companies, they quit their bosses, probably know this. And I'm like, we have a big gap here. And so years and years ago when I was at VMware, I was you know lucky enough to be asked to join this leadership development program. It was like a year long cohort they put together. And I learned so much. I mean, if I met a lot of great people. We had access to kind of our SVPs and leaders in the organization. And it was just a cool program to be part of. Like we were the next talent for the company. And I said, we need to do something like that similar. So we started a leadership development program roughly five months ago. Uh, we actually had our session today. We had 110 people from around the world on a WebEx this morning. But we've done a bunch of different things like how to manage early career professionals. And we had our chief people officer come speak to us. and. I, I hope my my hope for this organization and this team and the leadership team here is that they are the next leaders. Like I want them to be the next SVP of sales or the next GM for a product team, and that we're giving them the skills and the tools to do that. But I also hope that they become friends with each other and that they build the bond of, as you said a minute ago, Joe. Like your relationships will follow you forever, as well as your reputation and. I hope that by building this leadership cohort, that they jive as a team, that they learn from each other, that they grow together. And that, you know, I found when you get teams that 
work really well together. They, they trust each other. I'll, I'll share a funny story about my time at Amazon, my first sales kickoff. My boss came to me and said, Chris, your team runs around like a pack of dogs. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean by that? He's like, you see those people together everywhere. Like they're really like tight with each other. They're at dinner together. They're at the bar together. They're at the, at the happy hours together. I'm like, it's awesome. I love it. And the thing that, you know, to get back to the point here is when teams trust each other, the speed increases because they're not afraid to like that someone's going to steal their cheese or throw them under the bus or something. Um, the basketball analogy there is the triangle offense. You guys basketball fans? I'm a basketball fan, but I don't know what the triangle offense is. This is from the early days of the Bulls. And that's like why they were successful is they had this thing called the triangle offense. And the premise of the rules is you have to have intelligent players that are not selfish, that are not afraid to play each other's positions, and no one to pass the ball. And they're all driving to one goal. If you have a team that has those capabilities built into them, like they're not selfish, they trust each other. They're not afraid to step on each other every once in a while. Like step on each other, like I'm I'm getting into your space. Like it's okay. When I mean, we're on the same team, we're doing the same thing. And we can play each other's positions, but that's okay. Like there should be swim lanes that people should stay in, but there's also this time that crossing the swim lane to to help each other and to get things done with speed is super important as well. And when you can build teams that have those things built into them, it becomes pretty cool to see and how they operate at just a high level and they, they get things done and, and they like each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think trust is really important too. I mean, the, like you said, the fear as well. Yeah. I can think back to different teams that I was on and it went well when we had a lot of trust and we respected each other and knew that we had each other's backs and the times when we didn't were the times that things didn't go as well. I think it's really key. It's the same thing with the leadership team too. Like, you know, I said people lead bosses not companies. And I, I, I believe that so much. If we can create this culture here, great leaders that people want to work for, we have a much you know, better chance of attaching great talent and keeping great talent. Like there's such a draw for good technical talent in the world right now. And if they're happy and they're challenged with good work and cool work, they will stay around and grow and you know, become great leaders and great contributors to the organization. I think there's a, a, a parallel to what we were talking about with advocacy and pre-sales and engaging the customer developers and like how we engage our clients these days, our employees, because it's the same thing. It's people have so many options. They can go anywhere, especially if you're in tech, not a problem to get a job. And in, in order for companies to retain, you really do have to care about the quality of life, like you're saying, and the what it means to be on that team. And I hear this from our top leadership here, which I really, I enjoy hearing it right from Arvind about, you know, yes, we need employees to do the job that they need to do, but we have to have them be doing the job that they want to do in their career for them to be successful. And I love to hear that we get that high level message, but then we start to build it down deeper and deeper. And I think we had that in, in New York, Joe, we were told that we had one of the best kind of cultures around like a, a city team at, at the time, because that we hung out. We trusted each other. We were able to collaborate and, and help each other with our projects. Yeah. Another thing that we're focused on too and being sure that we get right is the onboarding process of just people into the company. And so there's an initiative inside of our team right now to revamp you know, the, the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks, whatever it is to get people activated. 
and that I want a magical experience for people to onboard into the company. I mean, you don't want people after the first week feeling, like, oh, geez, what, do I, what am I doing here? You want them to like be, I need to call my mom. I need to call my best friend. I need to call my, 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 my roommate from the dorms and tell them how, how great this place is. And so we are ensuring that we are getting that right. And that when people come to the company, there's this sense of belonging. Like I want people to really feel like when they come to this team that they've made the best choice, that they belong, that they're cared for, that we have their best interest and intentions in mind, and that we're really here to help them become successful. Like I think about my job is like making them wildly successful. If I can make them make them wildly successful, they will do whatever it takes to make us successful as a company. Yeah, it's interesting too to think about it in this kind of world that we live in now because we were talking about going out together and happy hour and whatnot. But these days, especially diverse teams being spread all around and working remotely and everything, you know, it's interesting to, to try and foster that. And I don't know what the solution is or, or the formula, but I wonder if it's having cultivated that sort of those types of people over the years, I find... There's a lot of good interaction on Slack and in these sorts of meetings and stuff. And yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I do feel like there is a way to develop camaraderie and meaningful interactions, even from a remote standpoint. It's tough. I mean, the, the whole onboarding people into a virtual, in a virtual world, there's no great substitute for the face-to-face, -face, again, the feeling of the company and of the team. But I mean, we are doing a, a pretty good job of making that work for people that they feel included, inclusive, and that there is an acceptance of who they are, who they want to be. And I think about, you know, when I joined my team, my boss said to me, you'll know you're successful when other teams start to steal your people. And by design, we have always felt and thought that our team will be a feeder system for other parts of the company. I would love for people to go from client engineering to the engineering world or to a digital sales role or to an external sales role or a marketing team. The thing that's amazed me most in my short tenure here of those that have been here for a long time is how many jobs that they've had inside the company. And the fact that you can have a career inside of a, an organization that spans from sales to marketing to finance and, and do lots of different things inside one company where it feels like you didn't have to leave the building to get a different opportunity to do something different. So I think about that as a success criteria for us. So in two years, I hope people are stealing our people. Yeah. And I think as you're talking about, it, I was thinking about it too. It's not even just people like that's great. Uh, and I hope that you do cultivate folks and they permeate through the rest of the, the company. But I think also just like the way you work and systems and processes, I was thinking about it in terms of the work that I do in open source. A lot of it is remote and using the tools that we have to communicate effectively. And I try to take some of those things that I learn in that community and bring it to work. Here's how we do it. This is, this works really well when you're dealing with the, the people all over the world kind of working on one problem together. So I, I think that's important too, a feeder system for what works well in these sorts of situations too. For sure. How's my audio? Am I still having a feedback issue? No, you sound good. Okay. Did the, you adjust some of the, the mixer boards back there? Is that what I, you did? That's what I did. I was... <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, this I feel so out of place. I don't have any, I don't have any musical equipment. I don't have a cool mic. It looks good though. I like your background. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. That, that's what I said too. The so, something that came to mind from the last few moments we were talking in my MBA course. I'm taking a course now on managing self and leading others. And one of the comparative papers we read was about Bobby Knight and Coach K, and they're just different styles. Now, I wasn't a basketball person, so I didn't know anything about this people who know about basketball you hear these names and you know exactly what these mean lots of chairs and the other doesn't throw lots of chairs that's kind of (laughs) yeah and it's i feel the modern methodology is a a coach k style where it's just you're saying you you care about the individuals what they're doing and you care about their if you can change their motivation where like you're figuring them out helping them do the right thing for the right reason for the organization and for themselves that's a much better methodology you know and sometimes these characters exist the bobby knight the steve jobs these folks who have that edge and you can't deny that they're brilliant and get results but if we're going to be training and we're going to be like trying to scale a technique or a process it's not their technique or process it's going to be the more benevolent caring coach k style and you know if you look at his stats in the end he he had the better stats yeah i i can't agree with that more it's the, the, the whole thing about Trust, caring for your team, respecting the fact that they're people, like this is a job, this is not their life. Like we need to, you know, understand that things happen outside of work that cause people lots of different situations that they gotta deal with. And we're here to support them and make this a great place to be. And fundamentally our our job as leaders in this organization and is is to help people develop and grow and build them into the next, you know, great leaders that we can. And I think this is a cool place to be at the time in this place, in this organization, because there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. So a good comment from somebody, one of our listeners, resolving serious incidents together. If you have a good process that brings people together too. And I agree. Great. So what, what excites you, Chris? What are you excited about these days? <laughs> I've been waiting for that question the whole time. I know it's prepared. Like, what excites me? What, what am I passionate about? Uh, I'm super excited about the trajectory of our team over the next few months. I mean, I feel like we just spent a lot of time hiring people. And when you hire that fast, that many people, the onboarding process is not trivial. So we've spent a lot of time onboarding and enabling people to get them ready to roll. And it feels like the bus is full, so to speak, and that the teams are ready to hit the ground. And we're closing out a, a great quarter and looking forward to a Q4 of just strong activity from our team. I'm super excited about some of the talent that I've got to see inside the team. Like whenever I get a chance to be out, either you know with our clients directly or even internally through through virtual meetings, like getting to see some of the early career professionals get their moment. That's always such a special thing to see of first time in front of a client like that and big moment, big meeting. I remember being super freaked out about those things. And it's you can see and sense it, but like that fear, anxiety, and tension creates great outcomes. So I, I think there's so much goodness coming in the next months, years for this team. And I'm really excited about that. That's great. And it's good to hear too, that sounds like you have, uh, uh, I know you did a lot of hiring, but you still have the space for people to grow and show up and have these moments where they can shine and push themselves and grow really. The other part of that too, and I think that we built this into the culture is it's okay to fail. 
and I, I think it, it takes a lot for people to openly accept that. One of my interview questions that I love to ask is, what is your most significant professional failure? And then the follow on to that is, and what did you learn from it, right? I mean, most importantly, what did you learn from it? Yeah. And I, I think we've created that safe space here that people make mistakes. I mean, it happens, right? As long as people can own those and learn from them, we can move on from those. And that's a good piece of culture that we've embedded inside of our group too. Yeah, mistakes happen. As long as you learn from them, you get past them. Don't tell my 12-year-old that. I'm telling you. Something <laughs> no. I'm, I'm actually telling my 12-year-old that all the time. I'm like, dude, it's okay. It's all right. It'll be fine. We'll forget about it in a week. No big deal. Something else we discussed in our, our prep conversation that I just wanted to highlight here was, and I think it was around when you talked about liking to hire folks with hustle, this idea of skills versus qualities. Yeah, and there's not a, a substitution for that. So what is it called? KSQ, knowledge, skills, qualities. And there was always this triangle that was taught to me a long time ago. Up, You can hire the knowledge, you can train the knowledge and the skills, but you can't train the qualities. And you know, through that interview process that we look for is the qualities that come with people that we can build upon. Like if you've got the curiosity and you've got the drive and the momentum, we can teach you a lot of things. Like you want to learn about, you want to learn about Red Hat? Great. You want to learn about Cloud Pack for Data or security? We can teach you that. Like we've got people that are smart on that stuff and we can fill in the gaps. I always think about it. We'll go back to my cocktail analogy. When you make a drink, you put ice and you put some fluids in it and the fluids fill the space between the ice. And we, we can fill in the gaps between the ice with lots of smart people training and onboarding techniques but we've got to have a solid foundation to build upon. And that's the qualities. And I, I always look for that of, do you have the right things that will drive you and this team forward? And we can always build upon those. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm really uh, looking forward to see how all of this develops. And I know Luke was talking earlier about the client engineering podcast. I'm not sure if he was, because uh, he and I spitball all sorts of ideas all the time, but uh, the producer's telling me that there is a client engineering podcast that's going to be happening maybe later this month or so. I hope that's true. And I, I definitely look forward to hearing more about all of this work in the project. I need a microphone. Cool. <laughs> we'll get you one. We, we got a budget for that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool, Chris. It's been really great. Uh, I think we're kind of hitting the uh, top of the hour here, but it's really been great chatting with you. I'm super excited about the work that you're doing, and I, I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, and thank you so much for you know giving me a little space to, to talk here and meet both of you. It's been really fun, and for uh, those to hear from us on what we're doing here inside of Client Engineering Team. But thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And don't hesitate to reach out if you ever need anything. That's the nice thing about IBM. I feel like we're all working together and uh, happy to help in any way. For sure. All right, guys. Thank you. Cool. Cheers.